The Start On Demand. On demand. Goodness gracious, great calls of fire. A montage from Monday night's coaches show of angry fans lit up about the bomber loss on Saturday. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology joins us to talk about the brown face, black face controversy and why so many people in this country don't seem to care and why maybe they should care at the very least a little bit. A Thunder Bay man reunited with his dog in Winnipeg after four years apart and will meet a woman who sold everything to go sailing across the ocean with a new man after her marriage failed. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb and this is the Tuesday, September 24th podcast for The Start. A woman tasered in a South St. Vitale carjacking, another driver carjacked at gunpoint. In that case, the 50-year-old, 51-year-old woman says the suspect pulled the trigger on the gun, but it didn't fire. There's nothing to describe it other than it's got to be terrifying. Um, to be confronted with something with a firearm to begin with is, um, is going to be tragic. Uh, but to have somebody actually pull the firearm and, you know, believing that it's real, um, I, I can't imagine the, the, the stress and the pressure and the psychological trauma that is caused by that event. That was Constable Tammy Scrabbeck talking about a carjacking at 8.10 a.m. Friday morning. Yes, Friday morning in the west part of Winnipeg near Grace Hospital. We've shared with you uh, yesterday our concerns about the rash of carjackings and the growing number of gun calls Winnipeg police say they're responding to. Now we're looking to the experts for advice on what to do if you're ever finding yourself in a situation where someone wants to take your car forcibly. Robert. Robert Siciliano is a security expert and CEO of Safer.me joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Let's start with just about what we should look for in terms of the numbers. I know they might vary from country to country, but overall, is there a consensus that uh, women might be more victims or they happen at a certain time of day when it comes to carjackings? You know, it's it's hard to, to, to say who's more or less of a victim. Carjacking end up as a crime of opportunity uh, coupled with desperation. Those who are jacking others' cars have various motivations. Often they are under the influence of some type of a narcotic and they need to get out of Dodge really quickly for whatever reason. In other cases, they are looking to jack a car because the vehicle itself has monetary value and they're going to turn it into a chop shop uh, and get some cash from there. Robert, there's all sorts of things that go through my mind uh, as a father. Uh, once upon a time, I, I would have had two little babies in the back seat, uh, strapped into to car seats. Is, are there anything that uh, things that I can do and should be keeping in mind? You, you don't want to be on uh, high alert all the time, but it sounds as though increasingly we need to be uh, in that zone. Yeah, there have been plenty of carjackings where uh, the children were, in fact, in the back of the car, and the carjacker, you know, made his way um, with those kids. Uh, and in some cases, that ends up in additional tragedy. 
so what I always recommend that people do is always keep a bit of a distance between uh, you and the car in front of you. And all, so in the event that somebody does, say, bump you or tries to jack you, that you can jump up over curbs, over lawns, onto the sidewalk. So you always have some type of an option to get out when necessary. Uh, taking a defensive driving course, which are available, just you know, search defensive driving course uh, for a small fee, will teach you, you know, how to uh, use your vehicle uh, to get out of a situation or potentially as a weapon. You know, and if the if the if the carjacker is in front of you, and they have a firearm, uh, you have options. Just because they have a firearm doesn't mean that they are in control. You, what you do in the first thirty seconds to a minute in that scenario can very well determine the outcome. You're talking about a scenario where someone would be trying to steal your car by, you know, bumping into you from behind or driving you off the road. What if I'm in a parking lot and I'm approached by someone and you know they're demanding the keys to the car? Is it just a situation where you give them? Do I throw them a great distance away? What do you do? So when a deer, right, sees a hunter in the woods, what does that deer do? In, what does it do? It runs, right? It, it, it understands that humans are predators by their nature. You see a predator, no matter what the situation is. You're on the streets walking, you know, to the mall, uh, you know, to the grocery store, whatever the case might be, right? You're in your vehicle and somebody approaches you and they may have a firearm or not for that matter. You can comply which means you are giving uh, your car and potentially your life uh, control over the bad guy. Like you're giving up control or you can drive away, you know, having that door locked, uh, putting it in drive and driving away. The likelihood of them firing at a moving vehicle uh, is slim. Is there a chance? Yeah. But I'm all about getting out of a dangerous situation as quickly as possible and not giving up control of your life to a criminal. You, meant, you talked about if somebody is standing in front of your car, like well, when you're on the street or whatever, if they're standing in front of your car, like we got a text message, somebody saying, my biggest concern if I was getting carjacked and still had control of my vehicle would be to run over the person trying to carjack me. So let's say you use your vehicle as a weapon to defend yourself. Could you then face charges? Possibly. Sure. You know, I'd rather explain the situation to a jury of my peers than have six pallbearers carrying me down the stairs out of a a church or a funeral home. You know what I mean? I'm not so concerned about the liability issue, whereas I'm concerned about my life. Well, this is all, you know, in listening to this, it it has you thinking about all the possible scenarios and and how you would handle them. When it comes down to it, this is not just a Winnipeg problem. It's my understanding in in your work, Robert, that carjackings are on the rise in a lot of places in part because vehicles are harder to steal. Is that the case in what you're reading in your, in your background? Vehicles are harder to steal. They have uh, lots of built in electronics that um, make it harder for the, for the, for the keys to be compromised and so forth. Uh, You know, and we are in what I would consider, you know, relatively desperate times, meaning that, you know, mental illness is skyrocketing. Suicide is skyrocketing. Uh, You know, people are, um, you know, feeling pressure in many different ways. Uh, And desperate uh, times uh, for some people call for desperate measures. Um, You know, none of it, of course, is justified. But um, unhealthy uh, people do, uh, uh, you know, unfortunate things. To others, and you know, it's really about I think uh, being aware, paying attention, being alert, 
understanding and recognizing situational awareness, what's going on around the perimeter of your body at all times, uh, having uncomfortable conversations like we're having right now, right, and knowing what your options are, you know, thinking like the bad guy does. And in the event, the unlikely event, I mean, it is an un- unlikely event that you're carjacked, right? But in the event that you are carjacked or attempted carjacked, just know that you have options, that you don't have to be a victim. And while the victim is never responsible for what happens to them, they are in the best position to prevent victimization. All right, Robert Siciliano, security expert and CEO of Safer.me. That's spelled S-A-F-R.me. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate this. Hey, thank you so much. Situational awareness. There's that terminology again, right? And uh, Brett, I think you put it in uh, different terms, head on a swivel. And that whole idea of being aware of where you are, what's going on around you, that was uh, an Um, eye-opening His word uncomfortable was like, I, and I'm credit to him because he's painting a picture of of all the different ways you can go. But the, uh, the uncomfortable thought of having to put yourself out there like that to think about the worst case scenario is not a place I want to be. Yeah, like this, I hear him. This morning, uh, I walked out of my building. It's about a 50 yard dash to my car and uh, sure, like immediately heard voices. And I thought, are this, where are they? I, I was looking around. Are they around the corner of my building? Or are they come, approaching from the street? Eventually, I saw them on the street and they were far enough away that in the event they were to come at me, I could make it to my car in time. But yeah, it's kind of a, when you walk out at 3.30 in the morning and you got to walk across a parking lot in Osborne Village, or no matter where you are, it doesn't matter where you are in the city of Winnipeg at 3.45, it's, it's, you have to be paying attention to what is lurking in the dark. We're not trying to scare you. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to give you the different tools uh, to combat some of the things that are happening in our city that are growing. A growing trend is carjacking and muggings and all these different events. And we're just trying to give you the tools to be aware, to prevent these things, if at all possible. No different than having a fire escape plan in in some respects, right? The things happen in life and you just have to pause and think, okay, well, at least I've thought through how I would get myself out of this situation. So this was the audio that we first heard yesterday. Are you serious right now? That's not a citation, is it? No, it's a violation ticket for speeding, Macy. Is you, Macy, right? Do you know? Do you know who I am? I have no idea. Well, I'm Lacey Evans, and I do not rate that ticket. So you can so go ahead. Lacey Evans. WWE superstar, and you should know exactly who I am. Sorry, ma'am, I don't. Uh, anyway, so here's the ticket information on the back. How You've got to be eight. kidding me. Yeah, so. You nasty thing. I'll pay the ticket. Okay, well, have a good day. Well, good don't day. you have a terrible day, sir. Canada is terrible, and I can't wait to get well, back. Welcome to Edmonton. So the headline at globalnews.ca yesterday was, Canada is terrible. WWE wrestler posts video of Edmonton traffic stop. That's Lacey Evans. And then we were surmising that it was staged somewhat because it's, hey, it's wrestling. They put on a show. And now... The headline today is WWE viral traffic ticket video was planned. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, you nasty thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so the police officer did pull her over. Apparently the traffic violation was real. What has some people talking now is why he would participate in this video. Yeah, that's what I would ask. And, like, is that really what you want your police officers to be doing? Why would this be part of... Why not, Jeff? It just seems like a waste of their time, big time. Yeah, we got lots of crime going on. Don't need to spend time doing At that. At the very least, there's other speeders to catch. 
Yeah. That was some of the reaction on Twitter. It had some people talking about the, all the deaths you see on Canada highways every year and the fact that, like, yeah, it could be fun, but at the same time, there's a serious side to his job. And so uh, we're curious which side you sit on in terms of this being a waste of time or uh, kind of fun. And everyone's taking it a bit too seriously. Kelly? Uh, I would say let's lighten up, folks. Um, yeah, Jeff Braun. I, I, was, I was one of the many and judging by the reaction on social media, uh, who thought it was real. Uh, I'm not a big follower of wrestling, so if I had been a traffic cop and I had pulled her over and she said, I'm Lacey Evans, don't you know who I am? I, actually, I don't, <laughs> because I wouldn't have. But, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting, the uh, the take on uh, police wasting their time. I don't know if you guys saw the video of the uh, police officer engaging in a game of basketball with some kids in a, na- in a neighborhood after a, a neighbor had complained about the noise they were oh, making. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, and Shaquille O'Neal shows up, and uh, all of a sudden there's a big crowd, and Shaq just gives a tremendous speech. So was a police officer, and all the police officers that showed up wasting their time. Not at all. There too. That's, that's beneficial. That's, 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 that's beneficial to their neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a community endeavor. Going along with the wrestling stunt outreach. is a yeah. waste of everyone's time. Understood. Well, kills brain cells. Everybody's talking about it, and they've gained exposure about it. So <laughs> but it's what's this not stopping anyone from speeding? <laughs> yeah, is it or isn't it? I, well, now, now I we don't com- and okay, yeah. so I'll, I'll fire back with we all complain about it. It's a cash grab. The cops are shooting. <laughs> they should be catching the criminals, blah, blah. So what do you want? Are you allowed to call police names like that, too? I saw that. I was like, shouldn't you get another ticket for calling him? You're a nasty, nasty thing. Nasty thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I, it would, never would have occurred to me to say something like that to a police officer, but now I know that they'll just smile you're back at w- you. You're Why not a WWE superstar, though. Well, well, can we do this again for my Instagram, please? <laughs> <laughs> she was also so scripted that it's like, did she also speed down the street past an RCP officer repeatedly in hopes that she would get pulled oh over my. so she could do this? Like, it was just so perfectly done. I mean, she might paused and thought about it 10 minutes after. We don't know how long it took her to come up with this thing, but I, I, I don't know. I, I'm on the fence. Well, and I, I think the, I know some are upset with the Mounties, but I think the, the failure, uh, the PR fail is on her part because she proceeded to go on her Twitter and just issue tweet after tweet about Canada this, Canada that, and now it's confirmed that it was all a lie. So all of this effort that she's put in to try to drum up uh, at least a stir I think is kind of in the trash now. And I think everybody already figured it out. But, like, if you're going to be in character, commit to it. One and done. One and done. Just leave it where it lies and move on from it. Let your legacy be that tweet and and move on from it. I totally agree with you, Brett. Uh, Overkill was not your friend in this in this situation. And I would have said if I was the cop, uh, you sound like you're from America. Uh, you know, you get a 35% discount on that ticket based on the exchange rate. So, uh, you know, you're better off than us Canadians. So I, I would have played that that way with them. Yes, indeed it is. Breakfast with the Brahmers. Brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And if you tuned into the Blue Bombers' loss to Montreal on Saturday night, the post-game show was full of vitriol from callers galore. And to say Blue Bomber fans have been a little hot under the collar in the last few days would be, I would say, an understatement following that 38-37 loss in Montreal. 
Things cooled down only somewhat on the phone lines on last night's Coach's Show. Go to the phone lines. You're on the Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'd just like to say uh, I was very disappointed in that game Saturday, the way it came out. You know, I've never seen such a team play so poorly with a big lead like that. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, somebody should be accountable and should be on an appointment line tonight. That's me. It's just a head-scratcher, but, hey, you beat Hamilton, everybody will forget about it. I'm very, very disappointed, Coach, in your laissez-faire answers to this. It's, what the heck, another day at the office, no problem. I came up with a new term with your uh, defense uh, in the fourth quarter. It's called biscuit defense. A little bit soft and a little bit flaky. So I realized that, it, you know, I was so upset with that game. Before the end of it, I sort of walked away from my television. But it's understandable, I'm sure, that the players probably feel worse than most of us ever could. Fans are just naturally disturbed. The meltdown occurred from having a 24-point lead. I'm comparing it to Chernobyl in 1979. You lost to the worst team in the league, being Toronto. And then, yeah, you had a game against Saskatchewan. We're now in a position. We have to win every game to have any chance of getting first place. Uh, what's your question there, Bob? Do you have a question the for Mike? The question is, is when are you going to get serious with the players and kick ass and take names? Some good questions Ooh. in there. If you want to hear all the answers, you can check out the Blue Bomber podcast. And uh, we'll play some of uh, Mike O'Shea's reaction in just a moment here. But one of the points of contention for fans in the Blue Bombers in the aftermath of that largest comeback in the modern era of the CFL, take that one in, was the play where Alouette's quarterback, Vernon Adams, and we were just watching it on TV here, ripped the helmet off the head of Blue Bomber linebacker Adam Big Hill and swung it at Big Hill's face. Well, the news of Adams being suspended one game by the CFL came during last night's coach's show. Bob Irving asked Coach Mike O'Shea how he felt about Adams getting the one-game suspension. I would never weigh in on length. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's uh, suspension is warranted. I, I do believe at the time he should have been ejected from the game. Knowing the outcome now, I, you know, I wish he was. Why do you think he wasn't ejected? I think it's so difficult for officials. They do, they absolutely do not want to eject a player because they don't want to be responsible for uh, changing the outcome of a game. And my opinion is if there's a rule that's broken that's supposed to result in, in an ejection, the officials aren't the ones changing the outcome. It's the player who committed the foul. The Adam suspension conversation did not overshadow the devastating loss and how the Blue Bombers managed to blow a 20-point fourth quarter lead. Look, in all three phases, if we make one more play in any of those three phases in a one-point loss, you, you end up winning, which, as I said, post-game wouldn't excuse us from the from giving up that many points and giving up a lead like that, um, you know the win wouldn't mask the 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 troubles we we had in the in the fourth. That's for sure. It would certainly make it easier to digest, and we would have went. Phew, we escaped here, um, but it 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 wouldn't prevent any of the conversations from happening. You know. So, um, what were the troubles you had in the fourth? Can you detail them? 
Well, you know, the the conversation that we had, uh, or part of the conversation we had was just, you know, actually um, counting the number of mistakes, number of errors we had. So, you know, with 11 offensive plays in the fourth quarter, we had eight mistakes on offense. And with 23 defensive plays in the fourth quarter, we had 16 mistakes on defense. So you're... And when they come in critical times, and uh, how does that happen? Yeah, there's, there's, it's all sorts of things, right? You know, one of the things that's interesting is, is I thought we were, you know, towards the end of the first half or, or going into the locker room, I thought, boy, we, we should, we can't be patting ourselves on the back here just yet. We got to refocus and calm down because I thought there was a bit of, too much talk on outcomes and score and how much more we're going to get. So I stifled that. And then we come out and don't do anything. So uh, I'm still trying to figure out whether that was the right thing to do, you know, to try and, you know, me thinking I'm doing the right thing and getting them to refocus and, and, and dial back in and don't worry about the score and all these things that, you know, you think smart coaches say, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and maybe it's the wrong thing. Maybe I got to let them run and just have fun with it and, you know, uh, maintain a bit of that. I don't want to call it, you know, I don't know that it's ego, but maintain a bit of that uh, um, bravado. Was O'Shea contemplating using the word swagger? It's been, a, what, 2011. 2011 We've, was Swaggerville. We've tried not to use Swaggerville since then. <laughs> we have tried very hard not to use it. The latest edition of the Blue Bomber podcast featuring the unfiltered opinion of Doug Brown is up on iTunes, Curious Cast, wherever you download podcasts. And at some point this morning... Uh, you will be able to get the Coaches Show from last night as we've added the edited version of the Coaches Show to the playlist. So if you download or subscribe to the Blue Bomber podcast, you will get that sent to you automatically when it's all ready to go. And you can listen to it commercial free. Not bad deal. And here's another reminder for tonight for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The latest edition of Neighborhood Nights at Boston Pizza is tonight. Every Tuesday this season before home games, a different Boston pizza location in Winnipeg is hosting a neighborhood night from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Blue Bomber players are on site for autographs with members of the cheer and dance team, as well as Buzz and Boomer. They've got interactive games and Boston pizza specials, including all pastas, starting from $8.99. There will be free Bomber prizes for the first 100 fans, as well as a draw for tickets for this week's game. And tonight, they're at two locations, BP Henderson, at 1475 Henderson Highway and BP Pemina at 2729 Pemina Highway. So again, Neighborhood Nights with the Blue Bombers and Boston Pizza is tonight. Also, this Friday's game against Hamilton is Retro Night. So there's going to be retro concession prices, $1 12-ounce fountain drinks, $2 popcorn, $3 hot dogs. They're going to have retro merchandise available, which I am excited about. I'm just look I've I've asked when is this merchandise going to be available? Because I want to get down. I'm going to the game on Friday. I scored seats for in, in, in a suite again. Come on. A buddy of mine, he says, hey, you want to go to the Bomber game on Friday? And I said, well. And then he said, it's in a suite. And I said, sold. <laughs> so Climate control. 
controlled <laughs> comfort. So I'm looking forward to that. But I got to get some retro gear. So hopefully that merchandise is available soon. That should be fun. They're going to have retro music to different kind of food. They're encouraging everyone to throw on your favorite vintage bomber gear and... Meet them at IG Field for well, Retro Night. Well, because they're going to be honoring a uh, vintage player, a guy who played uh, over 20 years as a Blue Bomber, Bob Cameron. And, Loren, I think you've arranged uh, for my former customer on the uh, old uh, free-pressed m- paper route to oh, uh, join us. Oh, I milk. It was free. It was, no, it was no, the paper. No, yeah. no that, that was the first delivery job. Yeah, hoping to get Bob on later this week. And he also, a uh, former colleague of ours, was tweeting out yesterday that Bob Cameron's the one that coined the phrase... Turtle Man. Is it Turtle Man for Milt Stiegel? That is correct. And then he, uh, Joe Pascucci's tweeted out some pretty funny video of one of the great dances that Stiegel used to do in the locker room. Which... And for those that don't know, it's because of Milt's like 10-pack stomach. Right. It looks like it's the like a shell. pattern of a of a turtle shell, right? Oh, to the right. underside. So yeah. that's where that comes from. Okay. I always wonder what that what the Turtle Man thing was. Like, that's a strange Seems nickname. like odd, right? Because he yeah. was not slow. Yeah. Never, like, you didn't need to encourage him to come out of his shell. No. But he stretched the imagination. So there you go. There are the origins of that. We'll ask Bob Cameron about that on Friday. And thanks to our young colleague, Will Reimer, who put together that montage of callers. He dubbed it Goodness Gracious, Great Calls of Fire. Well done. Great music selection. Bravo, sir. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. It wasn't what it seemed, and we pretty much called it video of an Edmonton traffic stop that went viral over the weekend after it was posted by wrestling personality Lacey Evans in the WWE was planned. Here's how it sounded. That's not a citation, is it? No, it's a violation ticket for speeding, Macy. Is you, Macy, right? Do you know? Do you know who I am? I have no idea. Well, I'm Lacey Evans, and I do not rate that ticket. So you can so go ahead. Lacey Evans, WWE superstar, and you should know exactly who I am. Sorry, ma'am, I don't. Uh, hey, so here's the ticket information on the back. How You've got to be it? kidding me. Yeah. So you nasty thing! I'll pay the ticket. Okay. You nasty thing! I'll pay the ticket. <laughs> All right. So the scene staged yesterday, Greg. You pretty much called that. I think from the hop at 4:30 a.m. said, "Yeah, this sounds kind of fake to me. Wrestling fake. That's what they do." But uh, initially, all we got from the RCMP in Alberta was that the traffic stop was real. Then we learned that after he gave Lacey the ticket, yep, it turns out she asked him to make this video with him to help promote her show. Jeff Fortier, can you please call our guest? And that police officer agreed. So why are we talking about this? Because that video has gotten two and a half million views. Holy. Which is insane. Wow. It started off, I think at last night it was 1.9 million. Some, sometime between Holy I went smokes. to bed at 8 p.m. and woke up at 4 a.m. We had another 600,000 people watching the video. So that's a good PR move for somebody if you're getting that kind of reaction, I would argue. I guess Lacey Evans is probably the benefactor of the tweet, which is exactly how she planned it. Uh, I don't know. Did you see the outfit that she wore uh, at WWE in Edmonton on Saturday? No. It was black and red, kind of a Mountie sort of outfit. So uh, she was, she, I think she had this planned for a little while. All right. Well, Susie Ergevic Parker is with Sparker Strategy Group, and she tweeted after learning that this was a stage moment. Say what now? Is this theater becoming of a law enforcement institution where not only their authority is questioned with hostility, but then our country is verbally slammed by the tourist? Oh, Edmonton, she writes, you were slammed in the mat by a pro. That's not a compliment. Hashtag PR fail. All right. We got Susie on the phone now. Good morning, Susie. Good morning. All right. Why? Why is it such a big fail? Can't we have some fun with this? 
can certainly have fun, but what we need to have fun is a disclaimer at the end of that video, as in no real officers were harmed in the making of this video. And no real pride was harmed in the making of this video. Yeah, we can definitely have fun, but people are so bombarded with um, contrived things on the internet and on TV these days that they really need to know what they're watching and the context in which they're watching something. So it's a little bit, I won't use the word unconscionable, but it's bordering on that for our uh, police force, our national police force, to to be a part of creating, uh, I don't want to use this term, fake news. Well, you know what? I would say that it's, it's, it's poor judgment. And the thing is, is that you have to take a look at the bigger picture. So, yes, I'm sure if she approached when she approached and they said, you know what? This sounds fun. We can do this. And that's perfectly fine. But there needed to be that disclaimer at the end of the video, something that said even a shot of her mugging it up with the officer saying we were just having a good time. No need to get upset because not many people who looked at that video, first of all, knew who she was. And she even said that in the tweet, you know, do you know who I am, <laughs> which is kind of funny in and of itself. And second of all, once those things get life off the internet and go on to like regular news sites such as yours or other things, people don't know what they're looking at. So the context is missing. And that's when people start to get, you know, upset and outraged, if you will, or fake outraged and question what it is that they're looking at. So there's a there's a fun moment to be had in this, but a bigger lesson. You know, our organization went to RCMP and said, was this staged? And their answer was no, it was a real ticket. And then they moved they came back later and said, okay, hang on, it looks like the officer was involved. But this is more about just maybe be a lesson overall for everyone to be more critical of what we're seeing. So number one, that's the big lesson. Absolutely. Question everything and ask what it is that you're watching, who created it and where did it come from? Second piece is to uh, foster communication in your organization about what kind of things are permissible and what are not and what they need to get um, higher level approval for. So if this officer thought that it was fun and you know harmless, which it should have been if there was a disclaimer, um, then that's one thing. But I'm sure his bosses, after looking into it, having to backtrack and answer media questions would have quite a different answer. Those moving goalposts are an issue as well, right, Susie? This whole idea, and not just in this specific case, but in general, when you're confronted with a question like the one Loren just outlined that Global News asked of RCMP, it's probably a good idea to know exactly what the answer is, and there's not more to it than what you're giving at the time. Make sure you have the entire answer. I think Justin Trudeau learned a little bit about that last week. Well, I think it is something that we're all learning, you know, as we as we get into this age where things sort of get their own lifespan on social media and then spill over into the offline world. So when the original tweet went out, even Edmonton's mayor tweeted at her and basically said, like, welcome to Edmonton. Hope you enjoy paying that ticket. So it was really kind of strange in the sense that the RCMP were in on it from the beginning, but nobody else was. And they should have let us in on the joke. Susie Urjavec-Parker with Sparker Strategy Group, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Susie, what's your website? SparkerStrategy.ca. Thank you so much for the time, as always. We love talking to Susie here on 680 CJOB. She's such a good friend of this radio station. Psychology. And the city with our friend, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman with Clinic Psychology Manitoba and winlove, winnipeglove.ca. 
Raymond, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Nice to see you guys. Good to see you yeah, too, sir. Good while. to see you too. Yeah. I know I kind of bonked the name. Uh, no, actually, you did a great job. I, did, I, I didn't quite get it. I, the hard H, that comes from my time in uh, French immersion. Yeah, so. I thought it was great. Um, but uh, yeah, good to see you. And uh, you, when you uh, reached out to us last week, uh, you said, what are we talking about? Brown face? So I think we kind of need to revisit that. And I know yeah. I, I was hesitant to bring it. I said, well, let's just wait. Because yeah. we, in our world, we have this 24-hour news cycle, right? And people move on from things sometimes yeah. rather quickly. And in this particular case, there was such a divisive story. Yep. One where some people were fuming mad and others just did not give a rip. And Loren, as we've learned from the polls, I think National Post had the headline, Canadians respond with one giant meh. Mm-hmm. That was the, from one of their own polls, and then Global News did its own that's out this morning, uh, done by Ipsos Public Affairs, and showed Liberals dropped from the last poll just three points, and the Conservatives have gone up slightly, and so it's still this horse race. There was a, there was 20% of people that said, I think he should resign. This is mm-hmm. unacceptable, but there was a whole host of people, almost half, that said, eh, yeah, doesn't really bug, what, what do you make of that? And, and and yeah. is it bug you that people don't care more? Is it about their vote or just about the caring factor yeah. about why this is an issue? I really think it's just about lack of information. And I think most people, when they approach issues of of societal issues, issues of diversity and inclusion, most people don't consider them like relationship issues. And I think when we think about issues related to society, it's just like one giant family, one giant community. And they're all they have all these relationships tied together. And so when people have this meh attitude, I think it's because they don't understand the impact of what that was. And we have to remember that blackface was started to mock uh, African-American people, black people, you know. um, And if you can imagine if we did that in any other circumstance, imagine if somebody wore a fat suit, you know, it'd be distasteful. Imagine if somebody wore— People do it. People People do do it it. for Halloween. People appropriate a lot of other people's— uh, deformities, their the the their differences are are something that we play on in comedy on television. Absolutely. It's a regular thing. It, it is a regular thing, and that's the whole point here: is that there's no consideration to the people that are impacted by this. Um, and you know, and it, and, it, and one of the photos has him posing with two Sikh men, and I think it also speaks to, uh, you know, promoting a lack of information about a particular group of people, the idea that we all wear turbans, that we have these stereotypes, you know. And and so I think people are just not aware and they don't think about it. Now, if you had a friend, you know, who was, uh, you know, who was a person of color, you had a friend who was overweight, you had a friend who had a mental mental illness, and we went around mocking them because we didn't understand their experience. And here's the thing. We might not intend to hurt that person. Like we, we just may not have the insight to understand the impact that our actions would have on that individual. One of the arguments I heard was one person in particular suggesting, well, I know somebody in grade six or seven dressed up as Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. did the makeup, the blackface thing. Jimi Hendrix was his hero. He wasn't trying to mock Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. He wanted to be as much like him as possible. Yeah. I hear that, but it's still misguided. Why is it misguided? Well, or or is it not? Like I said, so p- the big question that people ask is, you know, is Justin Trudeau racist? Um, if we look at the net worth of what he's done uh, for marginalized people, it's been generally good. So I would gather to think that this is not a racist person. 
Is this somebody who has some privilege who is ill-informed about the impact of some of the things that he's done at that time at the very least? And I would say yes. You know, every single one of us has put our foot in our mouth at some point in time. We can all relate to this. Oh, my God, did I just say that? And we have to we have to understand that that's the experience of what's happening to Justin Trudeau. We, Do you think that's why lots of people, and apologies for interrupting, but the point of being like we've all stuck our foot in our mouth and we've also, I think people woke up last week and went, oh, well, I've done that or had the Jimi Hendrix conference. Yes. The costume and they're uncomfortable with our own actions. Yeah. And I'll put myself in that category in the sense of just yeah. things you've said or done where you're like, oh, I never yeah. whew, didn't think of it that way. So I don't want, you know, your your self-defense mechanism would be to say, I don't want the rest of the world to think this is a bad thing because that's just going to make me look bad and feel bad. Yeah. And so uh, I'm not a bad person. I'm not racist. And I would do that. And that's just not how it works. We can engage in behaviors that are offensive to other people without realizing that it's offensive to them. What we do need to be doing is hearing what people are saying, you know, that marginalized people, like we've done this with mental illness for a very long time where people mocked being quote unquote crazy. You know, and we're reviewing those terms. Well, I mean, should we be using that word? You know, even the word suicide, we've, you know, instead of saying committing suicide, we're now talking about dying by suicide. And it's, we talk to people who are afflicted by that, people who've been through those struggles. And then when we understand those experiences, we have a more balanced, we have a more nuanced, sensitive, and more functional society. And if as a society we keep rejecting the experiences of others and don't want to hear their experiences, what is that going to do for our functional? Lots of people say we're oversensitive to these things now that you can't do, and I'll put it in quotation marks, you can't do anything anymore yeah. without offending somebody. Let me tell you about the number of white people who have racist beliefs who get offended by my talks when I do talks about diversity and inclusion. They'll stand up and say, I am offended by your talk because you're not including my beliefs about having, you know, being discriminatory towards other people. I was like, look, now who's now who's sensitive? Um you know, the the idea here is that I think it's just not an empathic response. If you think we're being too sensitive and other people who are actually afflicted by that, if you don't understand the experience of being discriminated against and you think that, you know, people are being too racist or too sensitive, then you haven't heard what that person is and you don't know what that lived experience is like. And that's 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 ultimately what privilege is. Now, the interesting thing is there's a flip side to this. There are people who come from marginalized communities we're also saying this is not a big issue. But but I think some of that comes from, so we have, we have this concept called ethnic and cultural identity development. And some of the, like if you are here, like if you if you are a person of color and you've, and you've lived here all your life, your identity is local. And so those kinds of things are going to be more offensive. If you are a more recent immigrant and you're used to seeing yourself like an outsider, these kinds of things don't bother you as much. Um, but there's also one really other critical thing. So I got a, I got a piece of hate mail uh, from a Muslim, actually, who suggested I was hate-filled and angry and uh, that I, I shouldn't speak for Muslims and that I was, you know, doing a disservice and his rationale. So it really caught me off guard. He knew the name of my son, which was really alarming. I don't know who this person is. Um, but actually, he pointed out, don't you realize that the alternative is worse? that when we had a conservative government, they made it really hard for minorities to live in this country. Uh, and if you go out and slander you know, or talk about Justin Trudeau, uh, then you're actually putting us all in hot soup because the alternative is that life will get much more difficult for us. And frankly, like as, as hurt and scared as I was by this hate mail, um, you know, I related to that idea because I remember a time 
when the conservative government was in power, and there were these nuances. There wasn't even just open, you know, they had come up with uh, funding that they wanted to put towards a tip line for reporting barbaric cultural practices, referring to Muslim practices and having neighbors report neighbors. Before all of this, there were these nuances that started to come up with the conservative government that really started to make me feel uncomfortable. And I remember watering my plants in the backyard, thinking to myself, darn it, I I need to find a new country to live in because Mm -hmm. if this is continuing, I'm not entirely sure I'll be safe to call Canada home anymore. And sure enough, it progressed and it became much worse. So I can relate to that feeling. And so I think a lot of the times people you know, are putting aside what's happened if there are people of color or marginalized people because they're scared about what the alternative might be. Poll out this morning for Global News done by Ipsos says that the Liberals have lost a couple of points, but otherwise it hasn't really moved the needle in various polls. A lot of people just do not care about this. And Greg, we're getting some pretty angry feedback on this. People think we're trying to shove something down their throat. Yeah, liberalism, and uh, uh, we haven't got enough time to unpack all of it, but this one, uh, Raymond, please forgive me for reading this one, but I think you'll want to, I think you'll want to respond to it. So he, I guess he is you, uh, thinks it's right for Sharia law and honor killings to go on and not have a way to report it. So I, I think this. I think for this listener, it's important to show how much there's a lack of understanding about what's happening. Um, people get very scared of Muslims, and I don't think this is the issue. Well, I do think that's part of the issue here. But um, you know, Sharia law, and I'm not an expert in law, but Sharia law generally, the general rule is that you follow the law of the land. So if you're in a country and it already has a law, and you're a minority, you follow that law. And that's so. If people are scared of Sharia law, that's all it says. Um, so it's 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 scary and frightening that people have that kind of reaction. But but I think what this whole issue speaks to is not about who we're voting for, but about the state of racism and the state of ignorance and the state of privilege and the state of bias in our country. I think we look down our noses at the United States and think that we are better than them, and we're not. We are neighboring countries with similar cultures, similar values, And I think we need to take a lesson from this. How do we work on resolving this issue? This isn't about who to vote for and who not to vote for, but how do anybody that we vote for, whether it's a conservative, an NDP, a liberal, or a Green Party member, um, what are they going to do to address this problem? We live in a country where there is a ban on religious clothing in one province, and there is nothing being done about that. What do you think that has to say for the state of racism? You think in this day and age... We'd be becoming more sensitive or aware or self-aware of things because of all the conversations we're having uh, yeah. in our workplaces and at home and at school. And sometimes I worry it's the opposite end, and it, not just with this example of what's happened in the last week and on the political front. Uh, even this morning, we were talking about homeless camps mm-hmm. that are set up across the city, and people text in to say, "Well, they don't pay taxes. Why? Why are they allowed to just stay where they want?" There's mm-hmm. this whole. Uh, pendulum that seems to have swung the other way almost where everyone's just mad and not getting what could be hurtful or helpful to someone in a certain situation. Yeah. And so I think the response to that is to actually my response to that is to every single person here who is texted in a very hateful comment. And this is what I'm going to say to all of you, whether you like it or not, I, people like me and people unlike me and people from diverse groups are a part of your Canadian family, whether you like it or not. And when we have a family, if we don't make efforts to understand the experiences of those members of the family, we have a dysfunctional family. 
Now, we do that for our family members every time. We are born with, into families, and over time, we understand the experiences of those family members. People may come out as gay. People may have certain experiences. People may change fates. Some people may become agnostic or atheist. And, you know, some people become vegetarian. And what do we do? Do we turn them away from the dinner table? No. We make an effort to understand. We make an effort to ensure that they're included, that the meal put forth on that table is ensured to make sure that they can eat. And we don't do that in this country. What we're doing when we make comments like that is simply looking at our own plate and saying, do I have enough to eat? And I don't care what you're eating next to me. And if that's how we live in a family, a Canadian family, we as a country will just not get very far. I have family members that I choose not to interact with as much as I do with some of my friends. You know, you choose your friends and and, uh, your family's chosen for you. At what point do we look at someone and say they have a pattern of behavior here that's unacceptable to me and I need to move on from whatever relationship that I have? Do I give them an opportunity to apologize? How do, how do I balance that? I, so are, are you referring to Justin Trudeau's I'm talking in a broad sense, but yes, if, if, you want a, yeah, if you want a specific well, I mean, example, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important we give people opportunities. There are times where people, of course, can be difficult and dysfunctional. Um, But I think when we are in a large enough family like this, we need to seek out supports from each other. So when people um, are refusing to hear, and I'm not saying Justin Trudeau is refusing to hear the comments. I'm saying there are people in politics, there are people in leadership, there are people in our society that refuse to hear what we're trying to say. Now, all we can do is reiterate this information. I'm not angry on this show. I'm not shouting at these people. Mm -hmm. I'm talking calmly because I want you to try to hear the message that I'm saying. And you may not hear me today, but and you may not want to hang out with me. You may not want to have coffee with me. You may not want to hear my message, but I'm going to continue to offer that message. And it may mean for a time being that you you may not want to talk to me, but I'll leave that door open because if you ever want to understand my perspective, I'm always happy to tell you about it. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman with Clinic Psychology Manitoba, and you can also go to his website, winlove.ca. Psychology and the City, a tremendous addition today. Thank you very much, Raymond. Thank you very much. And if I could just add from this listener, I am so enjoying your guest this morning. People need to hear this message. Question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. A Washington woman quit her job to search for her dog for two months and eventually found her. How far would you go to track down your missing pet? Your options are, I'd search every day after work. I'd quit my job to search, offer a large cash reward, or I wouldn't search. You can read details on this story at globalnews.ca. But this particular story, which uh, was released yesterday afternoon, shortly after another story was released yesterday, and this one is actually in Winnipeg, and it the headline on this one is Winnipeg Vet Clinic Reunites Stolen Dog Owner After Four Years Apart. So you can see the video on our Facebook page, on our 680CJOB Facebook page. You can also see some of it on our 680CJOB Instagram, or, of course, you can go to cjob.com. This is a video courtesy of the Centennial Animal Hospital. We'll just play the video. You'll be able, you can hear the emotional reaction from both the owner and the dog, whose name is Jacko. If I can get some. Is there no sound? Well, that's no fun. It would appear there's no sound. 
to this video. So I guess you'll just have to go to cjob.com. I'm trying to play it just straight off of uh, C, uh, Global's website here. And nothing. Volume control? Volume control is, it's up. It's just not working. Just not working. That's a shame. That is but a anyway, shame. it's a beautiful dog. And you can hear the emotion in the voice of the owner. You can hear and see the emotion from the dog who eventually rolls over on on its back. And its, ta- its tail is just flapping away four years apart. You've seen some of these videos they're they're heartbreaking they're inspiring uh it's tough to get away with uh, without having a few tears rolling down your cheek when you see them I, i've seen the ones where the military uh people come home from service after several years and the dogs are so incredibly thrilled to see their owners i got it <laughs> I, I can, yeah i can hear that <laughs> i was wondering what was going on in my head there and you also, uh, you've seen videos of uh, dogs that seem to somehow understand that a grave is that of their owner and they'll sit obediently at a grave as though as though their, uh, their master were still alive. Th- that intuition, that connection between owners and their pets or pet parents, as a lot of people are calling themselves these days, is, is pretty awesome. So here's what it sounded like at the Centennial Animal Hospital. Four years. So you can hear the owner, Mike Plass, who is from Thunder Bay. He immediately he was clearly beside himself oh, with emotion. This makes me want to get a dog, and you know what that says. You don't like dogs either. <laughs> no, I just, I just, uh, I'm again, I'm, I'm joking. Okay, because earlier I, th- I thought maybe you were just not a cat person, but now it seems you're not. I thought you had a basset hound, and you're, you're judging porch. In my judging porch, in my, in my, fan- <laughs> in my wildest dreams, okay. life includes a judging porch and a basset hound who runs slowly with his jowls shaking as he runs and his ears flapping and he has lots of opinions like me. So yes, no, I'm not anti-dog. I just, I, when I watch this, I think it just goes to show you about that powerful connection you can have with someone or something without having words, right? And so something maybe has been missing from his life too for four years that you don't know until the dog shows up and you're like, right, that's how you used to make me feel. My God, what a good, great feeling. Well, we, we treat, we're guilty of treating our dog a little bit like a princess and we often say to each other in our house, we look around, do you think she knows how good she's got it? <laughs> and of course, she has no internet. She has no ability to converse with the other dogs in the neighborhood to find out what living conditions are like at their home. But maybe this dog found out what it was like to be away from, you know, his 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 daddy, as a lot of people will call themselves with their pets. It's just, it's overwhelming. Just sometimes I'll come home just at the end of a day. And Abby's there to greet me, and there's just something special about it. She knows when I'm a little bit sad, and she'll come up, and she just has that intuition that something's off with me. Yep. And I think if you've ever had a dog, you, you know exactly what I'm I'm talking about. And cats have that 
ability somewhat, I think, to understand that maybe you'd like for that for it to be about you for a little while as opposed to it being about them all the time. But uh, there, there's something special about those relationships. And uh, I think the more we learn about them, maybe the more we can learn about how do we be special to humans in our lives in that same fashion. It's it's all about loyalty and that ability to, to just connect and just give yourself up, just give it all. And you showing some joy when you see that person in your life that makes you feel yes. good. Now like, the story, I'm a hugger. The story is uh, when a Winnipeg veterinary clinic took in a lost dog on Friday, they had no idea he had been stolen from a Thunder Bay, Ontario man four years ago. They posted the video that you just heard of the joyous reunion between Jacko the dog and his owner, Mike. The hospital said the reason they were able to reunite Jacko with his owner so quickly is because the dog has an implanted microchip. Class says when he heard the news from Centennial, it was the greatest phone call I've ever gotten in my life. And he left that evening for Winnipeg for a reunion he thought would never happen. He says life without him has never been the same and the feeling of having Jacko back is unexplainable. Never ever lose hope. I didn't. And after four years apart in different provinces, we are together again. The video will melt your heart. At least it should. Maybe it won't. Maybe you'll watch it and you go, this is a load of Tommy rot. I don't need this no. garbage. You can't see a tail wag like that and not think, man, that's fun. What a cute little dog. Also, this is fun. Jeff Courier's Facebook page is still open here. So let me just open the <laughs> inbox. Dear everyone, go to hell. Sign Jeff. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are very excited because we are going to continue to talk about Thin Air. Winnipeg International Writers Festival is on this week, and I want to read just the back paragraph here on the book that I'm holding in my hand. After her marriage of 25 years ended badly, Linda Kenyon was determined to never put herself in the way of a broken heart again. But then she met an extraordinary man, and in an act of great courage or foolishness, decided to sell everything she owned and sail across the ocean with him. Sea over bow is the account of that journey, a North Atlantic crossing. And Linda Kenyon joins us live in studio on CJOB. Linda, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. So the marriage ended badly. How long ago was that? Uh, boy, I can hardly remember anymore. I think 15 years ago. It was quite, it was quite some time ago. It's a good thing when you when you're not counting days and times and things like that, right? It's that's a, true. I it's used a moving past. That's right. I used to count it in weeks, then years, then now I forget. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd say that's positive. So then, when you get on a on the ship or ship the boat to go uh, to the Caribbean, it's a new husband by then. No, not really. It's a new relationship, but not a husband yet. A husband now. We've been together this 15 years, but I yeah. just wanted to solve the curiosity. The trip didn't uh, divide you further. You uni- uni- united. It was going to be the test, right? I was either going to make us or break us. <laughs> that is uh, quite the large piece of IKEA furniture to uh, sort things out and to make sure that things work. Okay. Do you sleep with one eye open when you're in the middle of the ocean with someone that maybe you haven't known for an extended amount of time? I'm very curious about that. Well, actually, Chris is a very accomplished sailor. He'd been sailing since he was, I think, about eight, ten years old. So he really knew what he was doing. Um, so I wasn't worried about my safety. And also, in terms of our relationship, we were—I was pretty sure right from the start this was it. But um, yeah, you're always on opposite watches. So even if I was off watch sleeping, he couldn't come down and murder me or throw me over the side. <laughs> 
know, all the okay, things so you, you caught about. on to what I was, what oh, I was yeah. you picked up what I was throwing down there. There is somewhat, when you get um, on any vacation, there's either time where you just want to forget about everything or there's moments of reflection. And I can imagine mm-hmm. being out on that open water when the view might not change from day to day or yeah. definitely your person you're with doesn't change. It would be days and days that you might have an up and down emotion for what you're feeling, uh, even just depression might come in or excitement. Like, tell me about that kind of wave of emotions that you'd go through yeah. at sea. No pun intended. That wave of emotions. That part was uh, really interesting. I wasn't expecting all of the time for reflection out there. I thought, when we set out, I thought, okay, this is going to be just uh, a huge physical adventure. I'm going to uh, have to really um, be at the top of my game the whole time. But there's so much time out there. Sure, when there are gales and big storms, it's it's a huge challenge. And all you're doing is trying to just keep things together and keep the sails happy and keep the boat more or less um, going through the waters comfortably. But there are far longer periods of time when it's just beautiful and quiet. And because of the opposite watches, the other person is down sleeping. And so I'd be at watch and Chris would be down sleeping. And there only is time to think. And especially the day was interesting because there's the, the seas change all the time, the sky. Um, it's really, really beautiful. And there are creatures all the way across. There are dolphins and whales. There were birds the whole way across the ocean. There's always something to watch. But at night, when you're just there under the sky and looking at the stars and watching the moon. There's so much time to think and reflect. And there were, yes, there were times I went broody, I will admit, but there were also, there was also so much time to think about things and dream. It was fantastic, mm. that part of it. How much time had passed like between the end of your marriage and then meeting this new man? Yeah, not very much. I'd say um, it'd been, I had about a year where I just hid in my condo and didn't ever go out and see anyone. I'd bought myself a condo in an old schoolhouse in Waterloo and I turned it into a a little one-bedroom apartment, and I bought some bookshelves and books and an armchair, and I just read and I hid. So about, I'd say it was about two years after that Chris and I started sailing together. So when you're out in a boat and you're, you're sharing your adventure, how often do you get, I've always wished, I wished I had the courage to do exactly what you're doing? Because you are a little bit self-deprecating in the idea of, maybe I'm crazy for doing this, but I think there are, in the back of our minds anyway, many of us who imagine doing this on some level to some degree of planning, whether it's just in uh, daydreaming or maybe even writing it out as a potential idea down the line. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people who who ask that, who, who kind of admire um, that we had the courage to do this thing, to set out. Um, but it's funny, there really are more that don't understand why why we did it, how we did it, or why we did it. There's much more puzzlement about it than, I think, um, um, yeah, respect for it. or not, not respect, that's not the right word, but people who wish they did it. Most people say, I couldn't do that. But, but, that, but that is the, the key thing. It was the, finding the courage to do it was, was really a challenge, and, and I'm so happy that I did. It completely changed my life, completely changed me and changed my life. And uh, I'm glad in the end that I did it. And I always try to encourage other people, if they're even thinking about a big life change, to just just do it. How many times did Chris have to ask you? (laughs) Not at all. So the first time, this is a crazy thing. So I'm in my little condo, right, living quietly, reading my books. Chris lived in the same condo. He had a little dog. Our dogs both went out the back to pee. So we ended up talking now and again. And he would always talk about sailing and I'd roll my eyes and they'd go, whatever. Um, And then he said, well, why don't you just come out in the boat? And I thought, okay, fine never been in a sailboat before. So we went out sailing and I was hooked immediately. I've never felt that feeling of freedom. freedom. Once the boat got out, it was in Georgian Bay. Once we got out there and the wind caught the sails and it's perfectly quiet except for the water and the wind in the sails and we're just going wherever we're going to go. I was hooked. I thought, oh, I'm free. I 
give me this. And in almost no time, I sold my condo, quit my job, moved on the boat. <laughs> and no moments on that boat where you thought, what the heck have I done? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There were some of those. There were some of those. There was Who one. Who is this man? Yeah. Why am I standing beside him? Yeah. Exactly. How did I get here again? What was the middle part? So last I remember, I was reading a biography of Colette by the fireplace with a glass of wine. <laughs> and now uh, I can't even have a cup of tea because the boat is getting dashed around in these winds. <laughs> yes, there were those moments for sure. Did you start writing on the boat or is it when you get back and you start to think, I could really piece some of my yeah. feelings together? Yeah, that's a good question. I write all the time because I'm just like that. So I kept a journal when, uh, when it was gentle enough to do that. I wrote letters to my sister on the computer uh, when it was gentle enough to do that, although I, I couldn't send them because we were out in the middle of nowhere, but I kept this kind of ongoing letter to her. And then there's the sailing logbook where you record what happens each day. So I had all this material, and when we came back, my um, impetus was to try to explain what it's like out there. And I started to write the book based on these materials really helped me piece together the journey then afterwards. How long were you out? Uh, 26 days was the crossing. We left from Antigua, sailed north to um, Bermuda, which you need to do in order to catch the winds and the currents that'll take you across the ocean. Foolishly didn't stop in Bermuda because we were so cocky. We thought, oh, this is easy. We can do this. We don't need a rest. Um, We should have stopped and waited for better weather information. But that's, you know, you learn that way. And then... We went across from there, so 26 days altogether. Where did you go? What was the destination? Uh, we made landfall in the Azores, on the island of Flourish in the Azores. Okay. Yeah. So the book's about a journey, but it also, there's moments in there where you talk a lot about your family. I was looking through it earlier and, and I wanted to mention about your brother John, because he's yeah. stood out, not as a yeah. character, but a very real life per- person. Yeah. So it's not just about you and what you've learned. It's about the people in your lives. Yeah, it really is, because I think that without that, without that context, without knowing about... Um, the family that I came from and who I was before I set off. It just seems like, you know, some woman met some guy and went off sailing in a boat. So my brother John, who had died quite young, all on the journey and had always wanted to go sailing and always been fascinated with boats. I I always across the sea kept thinking about him and thinking I'm so lucky to be doing this and I'm so sorry you didn't ever get a chance to do this. So, how do you yeah. bring how do you bring that perspective? Clearly this is your adventure, your experience. How, how do you write it in a fashion that welcomes other people into the novel and and welcomes them in to to share it because there, there's got to be there's got to be a, a craft, a, a way to do that. Yeah, I you have to leave um, a lot unsaid, I think. This is just my own uh, perspective on it, but I think you have to leave a lot unsaid. You can't tell this tight beginning-to-end story of your life or beginning-to-end story of the the sailing journey. So I've sort of um, fractured it. There's some of the story, and then there are flashbacks, and I think the gaps between the, the sailing story and the flashbacks give people little openings or spaces where they can think about their own experience. I hope it works that way. So then are people in your life, when they read it, have also drawn their own conclusions then, I would imagine, about what they think you might have been feeling when you wrote something or about a moment? Because if it's not as detailed as you're saying, then it allows people to say, oh, well, I now I see what she was going through then, when yeah. they might not. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. That's exactly true. So you have three events that you're participating in for Thin Air. Your first one is today. It's uh, the Nooner at the Millennium Library. That starts at 12.15. What are you going to be talking about there? Just a little uh, sort of expanding on what we've discussed this morning? Yeah, I have a, there's, a fair, there's a half hour there to read, so I'll talk a bit about what I've said this morning, but I'm also going to do some reading from the book, of, from certain sections of the book, some adventure, some memoir. 
Are you more excited to come to these things and share or, or learn from the other writers around oh, you? Oh, that is a really good question. I would say it's it's equal. It's so great to have an audience and to talk about your book and talk to people, but I have really enjoyed the other writers, and I've learned so much from listening to them read. I went to a, a writer's craft workshop. You know, I've got a book. I'm supposed to know everything, right? No, I learned so much at that workshop. It's been fantastic. Are you going to write another book? I am. I am. Are you working on one now? I am. It's in the very early stages. Uh, not another memoir, because, I mean, how much about my life do you want to know? But it's going to be, a, it's a novel, and there will be, um, yeah, some of the background from the farm, I think, is going to come forward in that. Not so much sailing. Is that exciting that you're now venturing from nonfiction into fiction? Yeah, I find it really exciting. I think, it, I think, wow, I don't have to get things right. I don't have to look <laughs> stuff up. Forget this accuracy stuff, I spend right? so yeah. much time saying, how many miles from Antigua to Bermuda? And... Yeah, no, it's fun to have just the the scope for that. And I have written fiction in the past, so yeah. What did short you do story, before? Sorry. Short stories. Yeah, I wrote short stories. So what okay. happened is writing this uh, full length memoir, and this is my first book length uh, publication, is giving me the courage to say, yeah, I, I could do that. I can do more than a short story now. I think I know how to do this. Ask me again in five years when I finish it. Well, that's the thing with courage, right? You need to do the thing you're afraid of in order to have the courage. To do it, but of course, that's then in the rearview mirror. Right, it's it's an right. interesting dichotomy the way that works. So that really is. We're yeah. glad that you were brave enough to to share this story with us, and what a great adventure! Thanks for this, Linda. Thank you. It's great. You can get more information on Linda's schedule at thinairwinnipeg.ca. It is the Winnipeg International Writers Festival. Linda Kenyon is the author of Sea Overbow, a North Atlantic Crossing. She's at the Millennium Library over the noon hour today. She'll be in Gimli tonight at 7 o'clock at A Spire Players Theatre. And then tomorrow, she'll be on the road in Carmen at the Carmen United mm. Church at 10 a.m. Linda, thank you for coming in. What a pleasure to meet you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.